0: Tonight's episode of People I Want to Talk To is sponsored by Dissolve. Dissolve is a new fragrance for bikers who are tired of smelling like an armpit and riding up and down the same old roads. Not only will it leave you smelling like a million bucks, but it will also absorb into your bloodstream like a shot of whiskey and transport you and your chopper to new dimensions. Just spray this magic potion on your chest, beard, or gut and breathe in the sweet aroma as your pupils dilate and you ride into a surreal landscape to nowhere. Cruise up and down roads you've never been while riding alongside the ghosts of the past and staring out at distorted skylines full of vivid colors that would leave the squares pissing in their boots this isn't some mainstream nine to five die when i'm old in gray cologne this my man is freedom visit dissolve.com to pick up a bottle today as always enter code people at checkout for 10 percent off all right thank you very much to our sponsor and let's start the show Thank you for tuning in to People I Want to Talk to. I'm your host, Jason Sarna. Tonight, my guest is Mondo Porras from Denver Choppers. Mondo, thank you for joining us.
1: My pleasure. Thank you for taking the time to come interview me.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, so I met Mondo a few weeks ago. I have a 2004 Harley Davidson Sportster that I've had for about three years now. Last year, I picked up some passenger pet foot pegs so my girlfriend could ride on the back. However, I couldn't install the right peg due to the exhaust being in the way. I brought the bike over to Denver Choppers, and Mondo went to work on disassembling the peg from its frame and fabricating a reinforced sleeve that allowed the peg to screw directly into the bike above the exhaust. um, Observing Mondo in action was like watching a master at work. He knew exactly what to do, picking out the necessary parts, skillfully operating a variety of tools and machines, and using his imagination to create something unique. The entire fabrication took less than an hour, and after he was done and I asked what I owed him, he told me to take my girlfriend out to dinner, which I did. Um, On my ride home, I thought about the experience and was struck by Mondo's level of professionalism, skill, and overall generosity. Um, Sometimes you go to bike shops and you're a bit intimidated by the employees, but Mondo was very welcoming and kind, as you can all probably tell for the fact that he agreed to do this interview. So to kick off the conversation, um, I just want to say thanks again for helping me out with that foot peg. My
1: pleasure. When I already see young guys come by and uh, they need help, I'm uh, I was a young guy, believe it or not, once myself. Yeah. So uh, I was helped by a lot of people, and it just it's given back. Cool.
0: Yeah, for sure. And so continuing on. That as far as like I guess being a young guy. Um, so how did you first get into bikes?
1: Well, uh, this uh, this story is is a well documented story. Denver Choppers was started in San Bernardino, California, in 1967, and it used to be a custom auto shop where we did uh, custom painting on cars and roof cutting, and chopping, and so on and so forth. And uh, Denver Mullins was a guy about four or five years older than me. I was in high school. And he ended up being my mentor and, uh, he was a terrific painter and custom car builder, but he bought a Harley Davidson and, and, uh, wanted to fix it up. And back then there was no catalogs, no place you could turn to, to buy parts. So if you wanted to build something custom, you had to make your own parts. So he got his and, and extended the front end and painted it. And it looked beautiful, beautiful bike. And, and, uh, a couple of the other guys got got bikes, and I ended up getting a bike and we all started fixing the bikes and doing making custom parts just for ourselves, just to ride around on weekends and, mm-hmm. and Thursday night out out bar hopping and stuff you know so it was just kind of our our deal, our group from Denver choppers, and then people started noticing our our custom bikes, and uh they said, "Hey, man, can you build me a front end or how about a paint job or or can can you build me a set of pipes and Before you know it, uh, we got so busy at the shop that we closed the automotive portion of the shop down and uh, started Denver Choppers, hung a shingle and uh, named after Denver, and and away we went and never looked back. And and we actually started the aftermarket industry. We're the first ones to offer uh, uh, aftermarket frames and front ends and wheels and handlebars and custom-made stuff, so... uh, uh, there you go. That's how the the uh, aftermarket industry started. And we're the guys that invented the long bikes. You see these mm-hmm. choppers with long front ends and stretch frames. That's all out of Denver choppers, out of, out of, like I say, out of our shop in San Bernardino, California in the late 60s. So, and that's a
0: specific name you call those front ends, right? Well, the, was... the,
1: yeah, the stretch frames and the long front ends. And, and most people refer to them, hey, there goes a Denver. Okay. You know, just like, hey, there goes a Chevy or, hey, there goes a Ford. Mm. Hey, there goes a Denver. You, They, they had that unique look. And here we are fifty three years later and uh still building bikes and and uh and the old tradition of the choppers uh uh Denver has since passed on we Denver and I got into racing drag boats and uh we really got into professional racing of, of the drag boats I drove one he drove one and we started uh um i'm sorry there and, and no, we started fine. we started racing these drag boats and um so we 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 took that hobby and made it into a business. We started building our own holes and started building our own capsules for the drag boats. And, and uh, we had a three boat race team. So we got real serious about racing and Denver and I had a, had a deal because the sport was so dangerous that if either one of us got killed, drag boat racing, we would keep the shop going, Denver choppers going and keep, keep the drag boat shop going. So, lo and behold october 4th 1992 denver was killed in our top fuel boat oh, and a tragic day and and uh you know i i honored my agreement to go ahead and buy the shop and keep it going and keep the drag boats going and and so i did i uh bought denver choppers and go okay let's uh let's keep this thing going a lot of the guys i you know didn't want to want to do it with me but uh I said, okay, you know, I can do this on my own. I got a lot of learning to they do. They didn't want to continue
0: with. Well, they the they jumpers. wanted to go their own way.
1: They okay. all they all felt that they could go their own way. The ones that were there, so and, and I let them. They did, and uh, so I put, picked up and moved out of uh, Southern California and and moved to Lake Havasu. And I was in Lake Havasu for three years. I opened up a drag boat shop, building the drag boats, keeping my word, mm-hmm. and building the bikes at the same time. I met a beautiful young lady in Lake Havasu and we decided to move to Las Vegas and take this thing to the next level. And, uh, it was right during the prime when, when, when TV was starting to do, uh, put the motorcycles on TV, like, uh, motorcycle mania and, Mm -hmm. uh, biker build off. And I happened to be on both those. I was on motorcycle mania with Jesse James. And then I did the biker build off against Indian Larry when he got killed. uh, Anyway, this thing took off uh, during the the heyday in, in 03, 04, 05, 06 was just, I mean, everybody wanted a custom motorcycle. Mm-hmm. So my shop in Vegas just grew and grew. I had a bunch of employees and secretaries. And and so we, we ran with it and doing a lot of TV, a lot of traveling, uh, making these beautiful custom motorcycles, a lot of magazines. And uh, my name got out there, you know, and they even called me the godfather of choppers. Uh, because I had been doing it for so long. And, and, uh, and here we are today. And um, I'm up here in Reno, Nevada. And, and uh, my, my daughter wanted me up here to be around the grandkids. So I closed my shop in Vegas, moved up here about six years ago. And I'm still building the custom bikes and and loving it more and more every day. And I'm building some custom, uh, some cars, some hot rods. And so it's uh, been an exciting life. I'm not a kid anymore. I'm 71 years old. And, and the shop is 53 years old, and I'm one of the original guys. I was in my first magazine in 1970, when mm-hmm. they were black and black mm-hmm. and white magazines. So uh, I've got a lot of history in the, in this uh, thing we call custom choppers, and and I know everybody in the business. And uh, it's been quite a ride, a little roller coaster ride in life, but uh, I, I I love it. I don't think I'd do anything else, and uh, I'm here seven days a week at the shop because I want to be, because mm-hmm. I love it. It's not a job. It's a, it's a passion. It's something that, uh, very near and dear to my heart. And, uh, I take a lot of pride in, in, the quality of these motorcycles. You know, people come from all over the world. to have me build bikes and, and, uh, to see these bikes in magazines and see the looks on people's faces when they, when they get their bikes. You know, I build them for TV. I built for Sons of Anarchy. I built for, uh, movies, uh, you know, so I've, uh, i've done i've been blessed to do a lot of a lot of custom motorcycles and and uh, i'm having fun
0: nice (laughs) well that's that's the bottom line
1: i'm having a lot i'm
0: having a great time yeah that's awesome how many would you say how many bikes or choppers if you would you say you've actually made if you just over the years
1: over 50 years i I can't even begin to to count you know when when i was in vegas i was building i was really knocking them out because i had a crew of 10 guys Mm -hmm. and as fast as the orders were coming in we we're building bikes i was doing all the fabrication on them because i wanted to make sure they were done properly so i did all the welding cutting, and building the front ends the pipes everything and then i'd turn it over to, to the assembly department and paint and let them do their thing and do the final assembly but i was always on top of everything that was going on every bike that went out that door i worked on and uh um today you come see me to want a bike build. I take it from concept to turnkey. Mm. You know, I'm I'm the only one that has my hands on it. All
0: and, right. um, and how was that process as far as, um, was that the biggest shop you've ever worked in the, the one with the 10 people in Vegas? No. Cause
1: or? when we had our shop in, in San Bernardino, the shop, we probably had probably about 30 guys there because, uh, at one time we had our own Chrome shop. Okay. That's a whole staff Own upholstery shop Own paint shop uh assembly fabrication and front office and parts and mail orders, so that you know it takes a lot of people to run a, a run a business that size and um so there were a lot of people working there when denver was around and and um
0: and how is that process as far as um like business wise like getting into that for a second as far as running a shop that that that's big compared to right like right now in Reno, you have nobody. You're, it's just you, yeah,
1: well, I've had other other experiences in life i I was a building contractor at one time, so I've had as many as a hundred people working for me, so All right. you know i I've never really had a job per se where anybody tells me what to do. I've always been my own guy and and, and uh, uh done my own thing so and, and had people working for me so that that part was never intimidating, you know hiring people, firing people, mm-hmm. uh teaching people and coordinating people and, and sweat and payroll and everything. That's, that's pretty much something that I've done all my life. But, but now that I'm, I'm older and, and, uh, Um, I'm doing this by myself. I'm not sweating payroll anymore. (laughs) I'm not uh, having to go over people's work and say, hey, that's not quite up to par or anything like that. So actually, this is the happiest time of my life because uh, I'm free to go back there and create and do my own thing and look at it when it's done and see the smile on people's faces when they get their product and and, uh, the pride that they have and the pride that I have in Mm -hmm. that. that, uh, And I have a a saying that uh, every bike I build, I build it like I'm building it for myself. Nice. That means every every part on it is just gotta be perfect. So uh that is uh, kinda what I do. That's kind of a nutshell at Denver Choppers is uh custom bikes the the way you want 'em, you know, you mm-hmm. come in and tell me what you want and I'll build it build it for you if it's not too uh too off the wall. You know. Sometimes I draw the line and and uh, uh rein people in a little bit because uh it's not our style. Mm-hmm. Our style is more simplistic. It's not uh, I don't want the thing to look like a uh, billet Easter egg or a Christmas tree or orna- <laughs> yeah. ornaments hanging off it. They put so much stuff on it. Hmm. I I have a saying here that we always had the saying, "Less is more." Yeah. And then from mild to wild was was one of our mottos too. So, so that's you get mild to wild and and I want it, the bike to look like when it's done that it shouldn't even run because all the wiring's hidden, everything is hidden on the bike and nice and. Uh, Nothing on there that you don't need. I mean, you're
0: you are not going to find stereos on my choppers or mm-hmm. <laughs> any of that that stuff, you know. So, uh, um, How do you feel about, do you have people contacting you a lot? I mean, just because you've been in the industry for so long, and um, it's almost like I was saying in the beginning, kind of just watching you work and operate, like, throughout the shop, like, just knowing where everything is, knowing how to create something pretty much... At the snap of your fingers. I mean, don't you have people well, wanting to you know, learn from you? Or like- well,
1: I've had people that, that. Here's the story: When you have people, uh, young guys that want to work for you and stuff, you know, I'll take them on and start teaching them and spending the time with them. And it, it takes away from what I'm doing, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. And then when they get they get to where they know a little bit, they get a little cocky, and then they run off. I can go do my own shopping. Yeah. So you wasted all your time and energy uh, w- working with that guy. Or girl, uh, you know, and you just say, "Well, no, thanks, but no, thanks. I'll do it by myself." Yeah. I've had guys fly out from Japan, and say, "Here, I came out here to apprentice for you for mm-hmm. free." Yeah, and I said, "Well, I, I, re- I really don't want to take an apprentice on." They go, "No, for free. I want to be a disciplined student." Mm-hmm. And uh, I say, "No, I can't do it, and I'll send them to some other shop." And I've, I have done that before. I'll send them to mm-hmm. L.A. to Chica, or he's Japanese, or some other. Where they'll take them on and where they speak the language, you know. But
0: because uh, um, yeah, I can. See I think that, if I was yeah. a younger
1: guy mm-hmm. and and uh, where I was more their age and, and 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 you know work with them that way, that'd be fine. But now that I'm older, I I'm I'm so fixed in 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 my way of doing everything every day. Mm-hmm. And you noticed the other day when I was making those parts for, that part for you is. All my tools are. I can re- reach. Out, I can, I can. I can do it blindfolded. Yeah. I put every tool away. It's. It's like a surgeon's desk. Yeah. You know. Uh, it. it um, everything is there in its order, and I keep the shop very clean. I put everything away at night. I sweep the floors, so when, when I come in and I start a project, I know exactly where every part is. I know mm-hmm. what pieces it are. I know the 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 steps that I'm going to take, the machines that I'm going to use, and that cuts your time in half. Yeah, definitely. And and one other thing about that is, if uh, say you were to come in and see me for the first time, and you look around the shop, and I have the people do this all-time comment about how clean the shop is, mm-hmm. and 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 to me that makes them want to spend money with you because uh, they know they're not paying you to. Look for your tools, mm-hmm. uh, you know they're paying me a hundred and ten dollars an hour, but I spend half an hour looking for a wrench, yeah, you know, so that's not right that's that's not good for the customer and I've gone into shops where they're so dirty and so uh so undisciplined that I'd turn around and walk out, you know mm-hmm. they might do good work, but uh you know I don't want my work done there, yeah, you know so i have always made that even when I had all the employees. keep your work area clean mm-hmm. you know keep uh keep everything picked up. You know where all your tools are put them away every night i don't want to see a mess when i come in yeah. floors are swept and clean and people come in and they comment wow what a clean shop mm. i think i want to spend my money here yeah for I'm sure. i'm in the right place so that's just something that i've learned throughout life uh you know in whatever i did and my drag boat shop was always spotless and you know i used to build my own drag boats i built the, all the capsules for the drag boats with the f-16 windshields and the roll cages and, oh. and my shop was spotless and and I, I built my own boat molds and stuff like that and people 100. people had come from me come to me from all over the country to have me build the parts for the race boats but uh, uh you got to be efficient if you want to make any money mm-hmm. you got to make every step count and every every move you make and and just be efficient and um have have all your materials there, you know? Yeah. Oh man, I got to stop. I don't have any fiber. And where'd you
0: learn all that from? Was that something that Denver he, taught you, or is well, that Denver
1: was a lot like that, mm-hmm. but uh, it's pretty much something that I taught myself. Okay. And I, I, I just you know, especially when if you work by yourself, you got to work smarter, not harder. You mm-hmm. know, you got to know. Okay, the, just it's when when you do something like this, you're going from point A to point B. And you just got to know how you're going to get there. Mm -hmm. You know, okay, I'm going to build a gas tank today, but I got to make sure that I move it back on the frame far enough so that when I turn the handlebars, handlebars don't hit the tank. So you're constantly thinking of all that stuff ahead of time. Mm -hmm. So when you position the tank on the motorcycle, you know, anything that you do, you're always thinking two steps ahead, three steps ahead. How is this going to affect the fender? How's this going to affect the seat? Or how about the pipes? Are they going to be in the way of the kicker? Yeah. So you're, you're always thinking all those steps ahead. And at the end, well, okay, here's where I got to drill the holes in the frame to hide my wiring. Yeah. So it's a process. And, and once you've done it enough, it just, it just like having dinner, you just do it, you know, yeah. you just is the process, the part, the things you, the steps that you go through. So that, uh,
0: they didn't think that about makes that. it easier, you know, and, and,
1: yeah. uh, you know, I have young guys come to me all the time that are, they go to MMA or, or MMI. That's the mm-hmm. motorcycle yeah. technical Institute or something like that. And they get out and they graduate. I had one in here last week, a young kid that just graduated and his dad bought him a motorcycle frame and a front end to, to do a project. So they came up from New Mexico to pick it up on Saturday. So then I started showing the kids some stuff. Okay. When you when now you're gonna build your fender next, and you got to put your back wheel on. pull a string line down the back uh, backbone of your frame and line up the back tire. Put spacers in it. Then take a take a garden hose and tape it to the tire because that's gonna mm. be the spacing between your fender, the perfect spacing between your fender and your tire. Tape a garden hose yeah. on there. Fold it in half. And I started showing him all this different stuff, and this kid just lit, lit up. And I liked it; he was taking notes and taking pictures and everything. Mm-hmm. So I took the, took the time to show him all this. Now this probably would have taken him years to try to figure out on his own. Yeah, well, that's what I think. But, Rudy, but I gave him yeah. enough schooling and a couple hours, and he mm-hmm. was taking notes and taking pictures. And I was actually demonstrating and showing him how to do some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And so now this young guy with with a sponge for a mind,
0: mm-hmm.
1: he's gonna. He he was all excited when he left here. He was jumping up and down. He just man, i can 't wait to get home and start on this project
0: well that 's what I think about when I think about the young guys wanting to learn from you like it 's like I have a background in writing, so it 's like you want to learn from the best so you research the best authors so it 's like you have all these tips and tricks, like even something like that use a garden hose it 's something that people don 't typically think of yeah. so it 's like passing down like do you feel like you have an obligation to pass down this knowledge or like how do you think, you know how do uh, you uh, do to that? the right people mm-hmm. I
1: do and i don 't mind showing people you know and i've i've done videos and on how to, on different things, building pipes or building Mm -hmm. fiberglass seat pans or different stuff. And I put that out there, you know, and, and, uh, but a lot of that, I just kind of keep it to myself too. Mm -hmm. It's it's the trade secrets that I know that I've had to learn teach myself over the years and just by trial and error and, uh, figured out the best way and the quickest way to do things and Mm -hmm. the most efficient. And that's just something you do with age. And everybody goes, People come to me and say, "Man, you're a great bike builder." And I go, "No, I'm not. I'm just older, and I've made more mistakes than yeah. you have. Than you're younger. <laughs> mm-hmm. My pile of junk parts and scrap parts where I made mistakes is over there, a big pile. Yeah. Now you're young. You got a little pile. Mm-hmm. When your pile is as big as my pile, then you're going to be a great bike builder. Yeah. And that's that's I says I'm no different than you.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's just that I've made more mistakes and fixed them. Yeah. And that's that's the answer to that. It's a real simple answer.
0: Yeah, it's like uh, I think everything in life. I yeah, mean, of course. Applies to that. I mean, in
1: writing, I'm sure mm-hmm. you, you you you've got uh, shortcuts and things that you do. You just showed me the, what the, your program on how you interview, and mm-hmm. and I, I saw that right off, and I like it. The question and answer, and, and the back and forth, and and that's the the sign of of a good a guy that does good interviews. And uh, I should probably shut up a little bit and let you. <laughs> let you ask some questions but once i get going and and, uh, um
0: yeah it's great though i I, I mean i I get rolling uh i I,
1: you know i i I have a lot of things to say and uh, Mm -hmm. i think that's because uh, i'm an older guy and i've got a lot of knowledge on this stuff you know anything motorcycle i probably got the answer for yeah or i've worked on a lot of bikes and stuff
0: like that but uh that's uh, a good segue into maybe just going back a little bit now. Like So, like, as a kid growing up, were you even into bikes? It sounds like, for you, me, you like know, what I've... You
1: uh, hmm. uh, I started building cars when I was 13. I got my first car it was a 1929
0: Model A. And that back then, did you have to be 16 to drive? No, or what I was, was 13. The, back the, back you then, you could you drive. Sne- I
1: lived in Southern California. There's a lot of orange groves. All so right. we'd just sneak the cars out to the orange groves and go drive Start around in the around. orange groves, and that's where you <laughs> learn to drive. But... Um, I got, my mom bought me a, a, a Sears and Roebuck little tool chest. was like $29. And, and with that, I had every tool in it that I needed to pull the car apart. Wow. So I tore it all the way down to the frame and rebuilt it. And about six cents, painted
0: it. myself. When you were 13 years yeah, old? Yeah, well, 13 years old. And, and what made you even want to, do so, want to do um, something like I, that?
1: I was building model cars, and I was just very mechanical, and I was just intrigued by cars. And it, you got to remember that was back in the American graffiti days, mm, you know, yeah. hot rods and stuff. You had a shop really, teacher in those early yep, days and I was really into that stuff so so it, long story short in high school I had 19 different cars wow and they called me Mr. Car cuz I'd buy them and fix them and paint them and flip them and I was doing two at wow. a time and I was in 11th grade I was driving a 9, nine uh uh 956 Porsche Roadster cuz wow. I had been trading and swapping so so I was I was, so at my yearbook they called me Mr. Car <laughs> Yeah, and I'd are those
0: the cars that you built in the yeah. display case up there? Yeah, I take a picture of those. So. There,
1: well, there's a lot of my cars
0: mm-hmm. that I built. A lot of cars. In fact, I got another. So those I, are just the glue assembly kits. Yeah, your, those are
1: just metal mm-hmm. little metal cars that I have got. But uh, but as you saw back here, I'm building a '57 Chevy mm-hmm. Bel Air Gasser right now, and a Gasser was a, a a drag car from the '60s. They used to sit high on the front end, and and uh, they're notorious uh, badass vehicles and uh, so i'm replicating one right now and i'm That's putting awesome. a, a, a blown motor in it and i just got it back from the paint shop and then i got another car that i've got over here 57 ford sedan delivery with a 427 ford race motor in it and i had the story behind that everything's got a story behind mm-hmm. it. and that car i had one just like it in high school and they're very rare sedan delivery is very rare and i got so many speeding tickets in it in high school <laughs> Back then, uh, you know, you had to go before the juvenile judge. And my mom took me down before the juvenile judge, and he said, your car or your license, you can't have both. You've got to sell that car. Mm-hmm. And I sold it, of course, to keep my license. And um, I carried two little black and white pictures of that around for the next 30 years. And, and I put that on the top of my bucket list. I'm going to find another one of those and build it. That's awesome. So we found the body, just the bare body to that car back east, and we went and got the body. And I spent five years rebuilding it, and now it's worth about $150,000 and um. only runs on racing fuel. But uh, <laughs> that was on my bucket list is to get a, to get yeah. that car. Everybody's got that one car they had mm-hmm. uh, when they were young that they, they wish they had again. And uh, the 57 Gasser, uh, the Bel Air Gasser, that black car back there, I'm actually building that for my daughter. She's a motorhead too, believe it or right. not. Yeah. And
0: were uh, your friends in the building or Oh yeah.
1: Yeah. Well we were building bikes and cars. You know, we mm-hmm. were we all we we're all motorheads and well with Denver and I we we were into the drag boats, so we're building drag boats, yeah. we're building cars. But even back bikes. earlier
0: in high school were you because you were sounds like you were just purely cars back then. Yeah, I was, I was cars
1: and then I started hanging out at Denver sweeping floors as kid. And a what young, made you uh, do young that kid. just for I was probably sixteen. And I started hanging out there and sweeping floors and stuff. He couldn't, run, he couldn't get rid of me.
0: But what made you want to go there? Just I because... just went there
1: because I wanted to learn how to do body work and paint better. Okay. Better. And I knew he was the best. And I thought, well, I'll go hang out there. And he tried to run me off, and I wouldn't leave. And, and he was four years older than you said. F- five years. Five old years, than years older. Me. I, and and yeah, go on, kid, get out of here. Gonna, <laughs> no, 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 I'm going to sweep the floors. He, I wouldn't leave. And and uh, and finally, he started showing me stuff how to how to how to do body work and how to how to paint and stuff like that. He took me under his wing, you know, and throughout, throughout life, we became best friends.
0: And did you feel that when you were working on these cars, was that something, was it feel like it was a natural evolution? Did you feel it, like uh, it was something it, you had to... You know, just...
1: it's, some people are just talented with their hands mm-hmm. and they can, they can think ahead, like two steps ahead, like I was telling you, point mm-hmm. A to point B. And that's something he taught me and, and something I had a talent for. And it just, uh, throughout my life, I've worked with my hands and I can, pretty much build anything i can build you a house i can build you a car i mean a boat
0: yeah i'm just thinking like to have that confidence at 13 years old i mean to build to take a motor apart and put it i mean i was watching cartoons probably still at 13 and
1: see back then you know we didn't have computers or anything else so all right you 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 know you wanted to go out and do that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. and there was a couple other kids in the neighborhood interested in cars too so they used to come over and we used to put on our overalls and crawl underneath these cars and tear them apart, pull the bodies off and, and, and just paint them. And just, uh, you know, we we were just having fun back then, mm-hmm. it was, you know, custom cars were cool. So, you know, I was, I was full boat into the custom cars. And then when Denver got that Harley and a couple of the other guys, and then I got one, then it was, then it was, our direction was full on Harley. Mm-hmm. And then we picked up, we developed the biker lifestyle, you know, well, back you, then so only, you... only bikers rode bikes. It wasn't, yeah. uh, you know, you didn't have the doctors and lawyers and veterinarians like you do now that are riding motorcycles. The only people that were riding motorcycles back then were
0: outlaws. So he shows up on a Harley, probably super loud, revving that exhaust, and you and guys all tore came it out. apart immediately, and got to make, got to make it better and uh, <laughs> and
1: faster to, to make the, that... <laughs> yeah to make the, to make the front end longer. We took a a stock uh, harley springer front end and we took model a wishbones they were shaped the same length and we welded them out over the top of the front end and made it longer
0: and you immediately instantly wanted to make it longer oh yeah did. yeah and there and was
1: just the style that just and... let's build some long bikes and and uh, we built some pretty long radical bikes and they looked uh, they looked so awesome going down the road with the chrome front and long front front ends on them and the chrome and the the beautiful paint jobs and the molding and, and uh so people started coming. Hey, can you do that for us? Can you do that for us? Before you know it, we went worldwide.
0: Yeah, and and then that style was that, like, was that in the movies, like in the Brando? No, days that after was...
1: after we started building those bikes, then a couple of years later, the, or three or four years later, the movie Easy Rider came out. All right, so was with Dennis right? Hopper yeah. and and Peter Fonda, Fonda. Yeah. and Fonda had had on a bike with a with a long glide front and not mm-hmm. not near as long as the stuff that we did, but. Uh, that's I think that's when people started picking up on that culture, and and there was that cultural rev- revolution going on during the heyday of the hippie hippies, hippies mm-hmm. and stuff. And you were either a hippie or a biker or a beatnik, you know. So pick one, and or a hot rodder. And so we picked the the biker lifestyle, and and never really looked back. We just, uh, you know, we we're, we're bikes seven days a week, and and it was a brotherhood. We all watched out for each other. If, if my b- bike broke down, that they'd come out and pick me up, mm-hmm. take the bike back to their house, would would stay up all night fixing it and be back on the road the next day. Yeah, and no questions asked, no no money exchanged, no none of that stuff. It was it was just it was kind of what they call a biker code. Mm-hmm. Even if you're driving down the road, you see a biker broke down back then. Even if you didn't know him, you went and got your pickup truck and loaded him up, took him to your house, fed him, spent the night if he had to fix his bike in your garage, mm-hmm. put him on the road. And has some beers with him, and a week later, he, he here comes your carburetor yeah, back. That's cool. And it was a trust factor, fact, uh, uh, factor, and a brotherhood that was formed between the bikers because we all had to stick together because we didn't have anybody else. Hmm. So all the bikers stuck together, and and here here would come uh, your carburetor with a, with a twelve pack of beer or something with it, you know. And the guy had sent it back to you. And,
0: and when did that originate? So like, when did. Like when did motorcycles fully come on the scene? I guess. It's a, well,
1: I, I think uh, after the movie Easy Rider, a lot of people started buying. buying that's Harley's when and, it really bred up. But
0: but what about the Hell's Angels and like the okay, the Hell's gangs Angels and started because they were before. Well, they started
1: huh. in, in 1948 in San Bernardino, California, where we're from. Yeah, we're from San Bernardino. It's called Burdue. That's the the mm-hmm. the short version of it. But Burdue was the bike capital of the world. That's where the Hell's Angels started. The motorcycle club, the Vagos, started right mm-hmm. behind our shop in San Bernardino. And there was three or four other major bike clubs of that era that started. And so San Bernardino was the mecca. It was the uh, the mecca of Southern California and the mecca of the bike clubs. Mm-hmm. They all started in there, and it was, it was a rough little little town and
0: and uh is that mostly where it originated through throughout yeah. the entire world like that yeah. started yeah. in yes. or barcelona yes, expanded throughout yes it did
1: the, the hell's angels started san Bernardino now they're worldwide mm-hmm. yeah and and so are a lot of the other clubs and uh but it all started right there mm-hmm. so it uh if you had to go if you looked up history and you had to put a put a uh um, a point of where all this started. It started in San Bernardino, California. Yeah. Now there was different places then shortly thereafter they started uh, San Francisco and Oakland and mm-hmm. different charters and uh, before you knew it, it started spreading. But uh, uh, there were people other places, don't get me wrong, that had bikes and stuff. We mm-hmm. weren't the only ones that had bikes. I mean, they had bikes in New York, they had them in the South, they had them all over the United States. But, But there wasn't there wasn't that connection. You weren't tied together by the internet or magazines mm-hmm. yet or anything like that. So when the magazines first came out, and we started. We were in all the magazines. Yeah, Street too. Chopper magazine and and uh, Easy Rider and all those. When those magazines came out, then it started tying the the uh, the West Coast and the East Coast together. Started blending, mm-hmm. and you start seeing the different styles of bikes starting to morph together. You know where the guys back east? Wow, we like that Denver style bike, and yeah. we started sending front ends and frames back east, and they started doing their bikes, and and vice versa. Uh, Northern California, they had the cafe racer style, they called it, or the the fast bikes.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We had we had the long bikes, which were the cruisers, the boulevard bikes, and and the, ho- the ones you see running down Sunset Strip in Hollywood, being cool as hell, and been out on the road doing uh, doing motorcycle runs, but. They, they up north they had a different style bike and then they started picking up our style and we started picking up their style. Mm-hmm. So once the magazines came out, that's when everything kind of started coming together and, uh, and then worldwide they started coming together.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: In Sweden, they even had a bike club named Denver Choppers that was named after our shop okay and they started riding the long bikes and they started calling them the Swedish style bikes mm-hmm. but a Swedish style bike is actually a Denver Chopper. okay And uh, those guys got a hold of me a few years back and sent me a poster for their anniversary of a, the Denver Chopper Bike Club, <laughs> and I'm fortunate enough to have pictures of those guys with their 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 clubhouse with Denver Choppers yeah. on it and everything and That's so, cool. so it, uh, it it turned into a legend. You know, the Denver mm-hmm. Choppers is a legend in the industry and and most people you can ask anybody that that actually rides and everybody knows Denver Choppers. Yeah, and because we're where it started and I'm very proud of that. And very proud of the fact that I've kept this thing going, mm-hmm. you know, cause it could have died with Denver in 92 when he passed away. Mm-hmm. This whole thing could have gone away. And, and, and I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to let, I wasn't going to let that happen. I wasn't going to let that happen. And, uh, I kept my promise, you mm-hmm. know, and my promise was to keep Denver choppers going. And so one of these days when I see him again, I'm going to say, okay, it was, it was a lot of hard work. I had fun. Now, what do you think? Yeah.
0: <laughs> you know, and, and,
1: and, uh, so that's that's kind of where we're at is as far as the, the history of uh, Denver Choppers. You know, a lot of guys work there. Uh, we've sold a lot of t- t-shirts, mm-hmm. sold a lot of bikes. Um, we've, we've been we're, were books, magazines, TV all over the world. I travel mm-hmm. all over the world, uh, doing bike shows. I go to Dubai. I go to Italy. I go all over. They just asked me. They were here last week. Want me to go to Indonesia, and come do do a show there. And and so. Uh, I do a lot of traveling. I do TV and and uh, um, so that's been fun, you know. And mm-hmm. I do a lot of sh- interviews, a lot of radio shows, and a, a lot of history of, of motorcycles. and And people people always say, "Well, you build these beautiful old style choppers." And I says, "Well, the thing that's cool about me doing them." I'm not trying to replicate something somebody else did. I actually yeah. did it. I was there. Mm-hmm. So I'm just doing what I've always done. Yeah. I'm not some young guy trying to replicate what mm-hmm. was going on. I was the guy that was doing it. So yeah. so that, that makes a big difference, you know, as far as uh, is history. You know, nobody can, can say, hey, well, you weren't there. You didn't do this and do that. And, well, let's look it up and see, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> and that uh, uh, usually quiets them
0: down, you know. But, what were uh, you doing? So when you were into riding, so what kind of lifestyle were you living back then? I mean, it's like to to be able to – so you didn't go to college or any of that stuff? No, obviously. no. I, you I just, did you finish high school or anything? Yeah, I finished yeah.
1: high school, and and uh, um, I, I actually started framing houses okay. as a young kid. So I'd frame houses during the day, and when I'd get off work at 3.30, I'd run to the shop and put the rest of the day in at the shop at Denver Choppers. And I used to mold the frames back then the frame molding was real, mm. something that was really uh in vogue and everybody wanted and I was good at it so i'd 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 leave my carpenter job and i'd I'd go by the shop and i would uh, um pick up a frame and take it home at night mm. take it home at night and work in the garage till midnight doing molding a frame yeah get up and go to work the next <laughs> they take that frame back, pick up another one, and then I always spent the weekends at the shops all day Saturday working at Denver's right. and, and then uh, go on all the motorcycle runs we used to every other weekend. Or and what anything. were
0: those like? What was we, that? Well, what
1: a uh, pack of us would get together. We're always the same group, and we would
0: – And these were just friends, or were they – They're parts all, all they, Denver oh, the chopper-related guys. Okay. And
1: we, we're like a family, and we'd all take off, and we would ride to the Colorado River from – from. Uh, oh, wow, Cool parker arizona we had, denver had a trailer there and that's how we got into boats is mm. denver and i both had fast boats that right. were lake boats and so we would ride our bikes to the uh, uh colorado river and s- spend the weekend there on our bike ride there on our bikes play with our boats and then go back to work on monday morning so that was kind of something we did all the time did you
0: guys wear helmets back then or was that no they didn't have <laughs> helmet loss
1: they didn't have helmet loss back then so yeah it was it was. It was. I don't know how a lot of us survived it, but we did. You know.
0: How were the bugs? I mean, because <laughs> sometimes even now I put my an helmet, and sometimes you get nailed. It's a, well, you just do. You
1: know, that's mm-hmm. part of being a biker. Is just a, yeah. You know, try not to swallow. You know. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, but we'd ride to the, on the weekends, and, and it was adventure. You know, it, it, mm-hmm. if you went in your car, you could make it in two and a half hours or three hours. On our bikes, we would spend all day because we have to stop and hit every bar on the way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and we used to have small gas tanks so then we had to hit every we had to hit every gas station to fill up our little gas tanks. Yeah. And then we had to have a beer or two mm-hmm. while we were waiting for everybody to get gas and then we get on the road. So it was always it was always the uh adventure. Uh, you know, the travel was mm-hmm. always the fun part, was the it wasn't the destination, it was the journey, as they say. Yeah. So our journeys were always a lot of fun and and if, and we'd always have a chase truck follow us, a truck that'd follow behind us. And you always carried the beer and the dog and, and okay. the pot. And uh, if your bike broke down on the road, mm. they'd throw it in the back of the truck. And then now you're riding with the beer truck, so you're back to the truck drinking. drinking <laughs> the bike's broke down. so, And then you pull over, and the guy's got a flat tire on his bike. Mm-hmm. So then there goes your front wheel. All right. Another guy's carburetor goes out. Back then, all the stuff interchanged between mm-hmm. the bikes. The knuckleheads and the panheads and the shovel heads so then your carburetor would be gone then your generator would be gone mm. your bike became the parts bike for everybody all right to keep everybody else going <laughs> so you get home on the weekend and then you go to go uh, to everybody's uh house uh and, and go to their garage and get your part back and drink a few beers and mm-hmm. go over to this guy's house and get your generator and drink a few beers and right. <laughs> it was just it was just something that we did yeah you always kept the other guy going and so you always hated to be the first guy in the back of the truck that mm-hmm. you broke down so that made you want to really maintain your bike so you wouldn't end up in the back of the run truck but yeah. uh, it wasn't always bad cuz i was you got to smoke some pot and drink some beer and mm-hmm. listen to some music and but you'd rather be up in front riding but uh, that was all part of it we all all had our turn in the in the run truck and and that was just part of the brotherhood yeah. you know it's just what what we did and we laughed and smiled about it and joked about it and I love looking back at some of the old pictures that we we have. I see a, of the run truck and bikes in the back and everybody had long hair and long beards and just rowdy and, and just partying. And it was just a, it was just our lifestyle. And mm-hmm. it was great. I, I would, I would, I wouldn't change anything in my life. Been in trouble a few times and, and, uh, you know, got my work my way through those problems like everybody
0: else. And, uh, where else did you ride as far as besides the Colorado River? Oh we would guys... go up
1: Northern California, go to June Lake, we'd go all to right. Lake Tahoe, we'd go to Bass Lake. There were different runs that the uh bi- the the bikers on Fourth of July weekend would ride one place where all the bikers would go. Mm-hmm. The Northern California guys would meet the Southern California guys and, at June Lake or Bass Lake or, or different places like that, or would go to go to a place in, in um uh outside of Palm Springs in Indio or Coachella. Or we used to have a pit run where, where it was a big open pit, and all the bike clubs would come together, and they'd barbecue some pigs in the ground, and a, maybe mm-hmm. a cow or something. And you take your sleeping bags and go spend the weekend with all the clubs, and, and uh, that were getting along. Not everybody got along.
0: Yeah, were you, so you, were you with all the clubs, like the Hell's yeah, Angels? Yeah, and yeah, all yeah. I would ride around
1: with everybody. And, they, you know, they all came to our shop to get their bikes worked on. Mm-hmm.
0: So And how were they? Like, what were they? Because they're like just there people. You got to
1: yeah. remember that just because you're a member of a club doesn't make you a bad guy. I mean, yeah, they, yeah. they've got wife and kids and families mm-hmm. and they got kids going to school and playing baseball and they got to have jobs and they got to, you know, there, there's uh, um, a lot of club members get a bad rap. They shouldn't. Yeah. They shouldn't because they're hardworking people. They pay their taxes. They uh, they have jobs. They raise a family. They but they did also have a thing to PTA become, or, uh,
0: to shock and freak out like the normal people. And well, that, I you mean, well some just, people got freaked uh, out and
1: stuff because they didn't know how to handle it or didn't know. Yeah. If they ever took the time to sit down like you and I are talking yeah, about yeah. now and sit down and uh, get learn take a minute and get to know the guy, mm-hmm. you'd find out that he likes dogs and he yeah, likes yeah. uh Likes to go hunting and fishing, and he likes to work on motorcycles and uh, his kid plays baseball and, mm-hmm. and you know and he 's into guitar and, and I think yeah, they 're yeah. normal people they 're just motorcycle enthusiasts with a patch on their back mm-hmm. but you don't you don 't want to mess with them or one of them or or, yeah. or theirs you know the The bottom line is you, you get what you give, treat them with respect, and they 'll give you respect, yeah as long as you you 're respectful for them you 'll never have a problem in your life. Mm-hmm. They don't go out looking for trouble. They don't want any trouble. They yeah. You treat them with respect, and they give you respect. And the respect is something
0: that's earned. But there were characters. I mean, you ever re- you know Hunter S. Thompson, right? Sure. Were you around when that was going on? When he was. I, I was around, but jail? I
1: I didn't know him personally. Uh-huh. But but I know everything about that whole thing that was going on in the background and. And what was? Did you know him? that he
0: was in there, like hanging out with them and doing a story? Uh, that on was him? more
1: of a Northern California thing. Oh, that was more Northern. Yeah, that was Northern okay. California deal. The guys that. I knew, and I used to run around. They're all Southern California guys, okay. but that was a Northern California deal, and uh, you know they took care of them, you know, and uh, you know just some things you you, uh, you got to show respect, yeah. and I think in some ways he didn't show respect. Mm-hmm. And,
0: well, they eventually just beat they. They left, They beat him up at the end of it. Or, it's and, all about respect. Remember yeah. What I just told you.
1: Yeah, You get what you give. <laughs> you show respect. you
0: never have a problem. Um, you try but to, I mean, they were. They do have characters in there, though, and they do. Oh have, yeah. I mean, they, I mean of, the names, the, the yeah. attitudes, and, and it's like what they. I and, mean, and, uh, it, and they and represent the antithesis of what society is. Or yeah, they. Yeah. But. Uh, kind of but, but like an like, image but, but
1: like I, I i i know a lot of them and, and mm-hmm. you get to know them and talk to them just like you and i sitting down and talking right now you know i sit down and go to lunch with them or, mm-hmm. I, or I i'm building bikes for them right now i've got some yeah. in the back and then i've got uh you know I, I go to runs with them and i go to sturgis with them and i do all kinds of things and and i meet them when i go around the around traveling around the world i'll run into them and talk to them and and you know i i know a lot of them and they a lot of them know me so it's uh something that I, I trust that's been built up over 50 years yeah you know and and uh, they know what they get with me and i know what i get with them and i treat mm-hmm. them with the utmost respect and and i never have a problem
0: and what do they um did you ever think about joining yes a group and what like yeah. so yeah. what were you thinking when you were going through that and also what do you think that they gained from um is it like they gain the brotherhood, or like what are they after? As far as it, it's
1: it's it's a brotherhood, and, mm. and there's just no doubt about it. That's what it is. You know, I can't speak for them. I'm not a hell's mm-hmm. angel. And I can't speak for them, and uh, nor would I even try. You mm-hmm. know, that that'd be disrespectful. But from from an outsider looking in, as an observer and being around them, mm. they're ju- they're just people that that are like minded, and uh, mm. they're motorcycle enthusiasts, and and. Uh, like I said, you get to know them one on one. They're great people, and, yeah. and uh, uh, there's a lot. I, I trust them any day uh, more than I trust somebody in a suit, politicians, or politicians. Or, yeah. <laughs> I mean, lawyers or anybody like yeah. that. You know, mm-hmm. these guys, you know what you're getting. You know your friend, and you can look them in the eye, and they'll look you in the eye, and they can. If you're fake, they see right through you. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and uh, I I trust them more with my family than I would anybody else. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that solid and it's it's that strong, and but what, that's why that club is so strong, and that's why it's worldwide is because uh, of the respect.
0: Yeah. What about the whole like why then are so or I mean, I, I get. I mean, you can't figure out the mentality of everybody or put words in someone's mouth, but like the different clubs, like the Mongols or the Hell's Angels, it's, it's like you have the different clubs, and it, it's kind of it's just like the gangs or you know, people like the fact that they are so anti each other is that like well
1: i i I don't want to speak to that Mm -hmm. um that's something that's none of my business yeah and i don't want to give an opinion on it one way or another because uh i could be wrong so i'm not gonna i'm not i'm not gonna speak out of turn and and uh and give an opinion on that everybody has their own opinions but Mm -hmm. uh, you'll never get mine (laughs) yeah that's fine yeah (laughs) you'll never get mine i I have respect for everybody out there and uh, i would never do anything disrespectful and do you know
0: Sonny Barger like,
1: yes yeah good friend of mine and I've known him for years and, and years and I've had he, he stayed at my house a few times when I was mm-hmm. in Vegas my shop was there for 18 years and he had stopped by and and uh, um got to know him quite well and and uh, um I run into him once in a while and it's always nice to see him and uh, um talk and get caught up and and uh I think the world of him I think he's uh He's if you look for the ultimate biker, if you had to uh, say who's the ultimate biker in the world,
0: it's Sonny Barger. And why would you say that? Because,
1: because he's done so much for the whole uh, for, well, culture, yeah. the industry, mm-hmm. and 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 he's a, he's a person that when he talks, you listen mm-hmm. because he's always right. All right. And he's uh, very very uh, loyal to his friends and his brothers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, brothers first, and then his friends. And um. um He's the kind of guy that you want to sit down and talk with because you learn a lot. Mm-hmm. You learn a lot about life and his, and the experiences that he's gone through in life and and I just think he's a wonderful human being. Nice, you know. And every once in a while, people say, "Yeah, Sonny Barger for president," you know, Yeah. <laughs> because uh, people people adore him and they love him and admire him. Well, it and, is, and I do, yeah. I, I do. I think uh, I think he's one of the greatest greatest things that ever happened to the motorcycle world.
0: Well, I mean, it's just wild that he, I mean he became like an icon. He became part of the entire well, conversation. Well, of, he was—he was, he was one time. of the original
1: guys, and and mm-hmm. uh, you know, and he's uh, helped create everything, and and he's loyal as can be, and and he's just a a great, great person. Mm-hmm. You just, I just can't say enough about him. He's just such a good guy.
0: Um but yeah, we could transition to so then how did you um did you know David Mann then as the painter? Yeah, was he Mann. around
1: during that time or how Dave did that – okay, here's a story on Dave Mann. Dave Mann was uh from the Midwest
0: and he What area of bl- St. Louis. Okay, I'm from he, Illinois, that's why I asked. He
1: belonged to a club, uh real uh a good club called the Alpha Mhm. And Alpha sterros were uh, um pioneers in the Chopper Chopper. They're mostly a chopper bike club and still are today, and mm-hmm. uh, very well-recognized and respected club. Well, he was a member of that, and he was an artist, as you know. He mm-hmm. was the Picasso and the Da Vinci and everything of our culture, the mm-hmm. motorcycle world, yeah. and he used to do the, the paintings, the watercolor paintings that would show up in Easy Rider magazine every mm-hmm. month. And it would be a, 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 a size of uh, if you were to open the the magazine up in the middle, it's exactly the size of two pages, you know, okay. with a staple in the middle. Yeah, and he'd do these beautiful, beautiful paintings of motorcycles, and usually the lifestyle they'd be out on, a, say, a, a motorcycle run, or they'd be at a picnic, or they'd be working on their bikes, or they'd be at a bike show. I mean, the the uh, uh, it was all about the biker life and lifestyle mm-hmm. of of Dave Mann, you know, and the bikes that he painted. And he used to paint a lot of Denver bikes. Hmm. He liked the long bi- our long bikes. So uh, every month, you uh, you know, it was young guys growing up. We couldn't wait to get Easy Rider because there would be a new Dave Mann painting in there. And that's what you wallpaper your garage with, <laughs> with Dave Mann paintings. Nice. And I was no different than anyone else. I had the wallpaper of Dave Mann paintings and then all my traffic tickets stapled in the wall over here. <laughs> <laughs> so you had both if you're a uh-huh. biker you'd have the,
0: your day man paintings and then your traffic tickets yeah stapled to the wall and he was also again like like i just think like he had non anti-mainstream sort of that sort he of he was a biker yeah
1: he was a biker and what and,
0: about that appeal to you i guess then well
1: like, I, more than anything i loved his work mm-hmm. you know i was always a big fan of, oh, i couldn't wait to see what dave man's going to come up with next and his stuff is so realistic you know and he started out doing uh, little magazines. Uh, he'd do some paintings for Ed Roth, and Ed Roth was a custom car builder and a biker back in the '60s. Mm-hmm. And he would, uh, Dave would do the paintings for him, and Ed Roth would put his name on the painting. Okay. And then he went to work. For, uh, then he went over to Easy Rider, and then he got full credit. You know mm-hmm. that they were uh, Dave Man paintings, and and they were getting better and better. And everybody just loved seeing those things. And he
0: also started doing more like surrealistic um, sky yeah. distortions, ghosts yeah, he, on the highway yeah. riding next to him. Yep, it's like, was, yep. he, he, was, was a, he into like psychedelics? He was very
1: mystical uh, uh-huh. paintings, you know, and, and uh, kind of mind expanding some of the stuff that he would do. It's like, you know, it was almost like uh, out, outside of your body experience, mm-hmm. you know, or a dream. He would capture it and paint.
0: Was he? Did you know him personally, or I met you know, him a couple times. Was he into like doing the like psychedelics in that era, or doing? Anything I don't know like if he or? was or not
1: personally, but uh, you look at some of his paintings, and they're pretty mm-hmm. far out. You know, yeah. but, uh Everybody was kind of far out back then, mm-hmm. and so he was no different than anybody else. But his work
0: was unbelievable. And then, how did you end up becoming in one of the paintings of his?
1: Well, it, it it's a crazy deal that. Uh, uh, I, I was in a lot of magazines and, and easy rider magazine was really got behind me and, and my bikes were always an easy rider magazine and I got to be good friends with those guys and built them a couple of bikes. So, well, anyway, um, uh, the 30th anniversary, easy rider magazine was coming mm-hmm. around and they said, Hey, how about building a bike for our 30th anniversary? And I said, I would like that. I'll build you a bike. Mm-hmm. So I built a bike for, for easy rider for the 30th anniversary and then I took one that from 30 years prior, and I restored it an old Denver bike. So I took them both down to L.A. to get, get the photo shoot done, and that's where they used to do the, uh, the photo shoots. And so I took and just dropped the bike off there to get the photo shoot done, and uh, didn't think any more about it. I thought, well, a few months the, the bikes are going to come out in the magazine. and mm-hmm. the, that was always happened. still happens today. I still got there's a bike from last month that came out in the magazine. <laughs> I got, I'm coming out in another magazine this month but um um so it was the 30th anniversary and i had no idea that they're going to do the painting of my two bikes Mm -hmm. and me sitting on one of them running down the road and my my buddy (laughs) sitting on the other one and what dave did is he took the pictures of the bikes from Mm -hmm. the photo shoot and then he just he just painted me on one bike and painted my friend on the other and if you look at the painting it looks like me and another guy running down the road next to each other on these beautiful long choppers.
0: Mm.
1: Well, so I get the 30th anniversary magazine in the mail and I open it up and there it is, a oh. Dave Mann painting of me and two of my bodies. <laughs> that would to be kind of crazy. <laughs> it was just—it was, it was, just, it was mind-blowing. It, it's like the best thing that ever happened to me because if you know anything about the history of Dave Mann, very seldom did he ever paint real people. Oh, I didn't know that. No, they're mostly all fictitious. Mm. There's two or three guys, Tiny, I know he painted, and then there's two or three other guys where he actually painted real people, but mostly they're the fictitious people on these bikes. Mm -hmm. So when I saw that, that it was me and two of my bikes, I was just blown away. And then I got the call that Dave Mann passed away. Wow. And I talked to the editor. Was that his last painting then? Oh, wow. So I talked to the editor, Easy Rider, and he goes, yeah, we wanted to surprise you with uh that painting and uh he says it was his last painting and to be honest Dave was in pretty poor health. We didn't know if he was gonna make it through that painting or not. And he finished the painting, then he passed away. So that's probably one of the biggest honors I have is being in Dave Mann's last painting. And there's I've got him around here in the shop.
0: And and where's the painting at? I've got it. Oh you've got it. And you, you're
1: Easy Rider uh made a gift of that painting to me.
0: Wow, that's And it's
1: priceless. Mm-hmm. And it's put away where nobody will ever see it. Or no. find it. But... <laughs> you don't even let people look at it? No, I've got, i got prints around here. i got oh, okay. the posters and stuff. Yeah. You know, and they can even buy, you know, the posters mm-hmm. from me, but uh, no, nobody will see that.
0: Yeah, that's pretty amazing. I mean... It... Uh, yeah, I mean, this. I it mean, solidifies you, I guess, in the culture and well, the going cho- You know, going the, the, on, my nickname, and s- uh,
1: I'm not trying to be braggadocious or uh-huh. anything, but my nickname is the Godfather of Choppers. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was given to me by my peers. All right. So it wasn't something, well, who am I going to be today? I'm going to give myself a name. It never yeah. happened that way. You
0: went from Mr. Carr to the Godfather of Choppers.
1: <laughs> the Godfather of Choppers. And, and uh, you know, I don't use that term myself, but other people do. And, and mm-hmm. I I I uh I think the Godfather choppers was Denver. All right. And I was the heir apparent. Mhm. So that's the way I look at it. All right. And um you know just like uh when uh, the movie The Godfather when the Godfather passed away then then uh Michael Pacino Michael mm-hmm. took over as the Godfather. So it's just a and so I'm sure when I'm gone somebody else will be the Godfather.
0: Yeah. I don't it know w- who it'd be but uh <laughs> And how was that relationship with you in Denver? You said you guys became best friends because it sounds like at first we, we it was kind of like brothers. We, we, we were,
1: uh, in fact, uh, um, least, uh, I did the uh, biker build-off against Indian Larry on Discovery Channel. Yeah, I right read about and they that. Fi- and they filmed that, and uh, it was kind of during the, you know, it was two two bike builders, me and Indian Larry, going against each other building bikes. He's from New York. I'm in from the West. I'm from Vegas, and. There's a storyline. So my storyline on, on my side of the build was, uh, I, was always ta- I always talk about Denver and, and my best friend and lifestyle. So I'm going through the show. If you watch on YouTube uh, Mondo vs. Indian Larry, Biker Build-Off, you'll see uh, that I'm talking about Denver and, and what he meant to me and the promise that I kept and, and about the drag boats and stuff like that. And when he died, I, I, I stepped in and tried to fill his big boots, and, mm-hmm. and uh, it wasn't easy. It was a hard, hard 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 deal for me to, to try to live up to the image of this of this tremendous man but uh but I just soldiered through and did it but um so I'm talking about losing my best friend and having to step in and take over Denver Choppers which was an icon in the industry
0: mm-hmm.
1: and about all the trials and tribulations so I'm talking about all that all the way through now Indian Larry he had his shop in New York and he was a, a very well-known bike builder, been on a couple of bike, mm-hmm. biker build-offs and had a huge uh, fan base and following. So him and I did our biker build-off. And at the end, we pulled into a venue and uh, we'd been riding for three days, helicopters filming us and stuff. And we ended up in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina at, at a bike show, which was all planned. And uh, so we pull in there and, and the, the lady asked... Um, Indian Larry to go out back and do his trip, his trick. Long story short, where he used to stand on the seat of his motorcycle and put his arms out All right. like an iron cross or like Jesus on the cross. Mm-hmm. And he used to stand on the seat of his bike while he was running down the road. I mean, it was a very dangerous thing. And so she she asked him to go do it, and he really didn't want to do it. And we'd been talking about it for about three days. And, talking and, about the stunt? About the stunt that he wasn't comfortable doing it. And uh, right before we got to the venue... I was riding next to him and the cameras were shut off and, stuff. and all of a sudden he jumps up on his bike and does that trick and sets back down. And we all knew what we were doing because we were all talking, all the guys mm-hmm. in the group were talking about it. He didn't want to do it. And we knew that he was just building up his courage to yeah. see if he's okay. Well, anyway, so we got inside and we're signing autographs and stuff. And the lady put it on the show said, hey, I got a place set up out back. I want you to go out back and do your trick. And he goes, well, I really don't want to do it. And I haven't been paid. He got paid money to do it. Jeez. She held up a brochure with a picture of him on the cover doing it. She said, what are you going to do? Let your public down. They're out back waiting for you. Oh, and I saw him go walking by me, and he's as white as a ghost. Oh, and, I, and my girlfriend had just flown in, and uh, um, she was standing next to me. And she goes, what's the matter? Larry's as white as a ghost. And I said, stand here next to me. Don't go outside. Stay here with me. And he went out back, and he did that trick. And to do that trick properly, he'd done it a, he'd done it a million times. You gotta need a long, steady blocker. You get the bike going fast enough. You feel comfortable. You, you you stand on the seat with your feet on the handlebars, your hands on the handlebars, and then you slowly let yourself up, put your arms out. You know, it's a process. Well, um, the, the, she had him in a caged-in area. It was only about 300 foot long from what I understand, and it was starting to rain. So he got the bike going, and he stood up, and the bike wobbled. He wasn't going fast enough, mm-hmm. and he went down and hit his head. And so that was... Uh, Long story short, we lost Larry on that episode of, of biker build off but um tragic tragic deal yeah, that's you know horrible. and 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 to still to today there's a, he's he's an icon in the industry
0: well it's so like weird that he had the premonition yeah I mean, he did that he whole did time almost for and, days and almost. if you if
1: you watch the if you watch that program they they're interviewing him him and his wife Bambi they're s- sitting in his apartment in New York in Brooklyn and they're talking about life and he goes if i leave tomorrow i've had a good life
0: and that was the day before
1: that was that was before he left on the uh, to go to the the filming (laughs) but they were talking about that Mm -hmm. and then when i was riding with him him and i were having some private conversations and i kept telling larry you don't feel good about it don't do it you Mm -hmm. know billy lane was there with us and a bunch of other people were with us and and we told him don't you know you don't feel good about it don't do it but he did and then you know, such is life and, and so then I lost another friend and, and so on. I was in Brooklyn, you know, we had a kind of a eulogy there. They had a block party for him after he was gone. And they had me get up on stage at the end of the at the end of Discovery Channel program, you see me up on stage and and I looked around at his um at his crew. You know, there was Kano and, and Paul Cox and Bobby Seeger and and uh, three or four other guys, I can't remember their names now. But I'm, I apologize. But uh,
0: Bobby Seeger, the singer, or Bobby Seeger, the, the the guy that owns uh oh, Larry now. Okay.
1: But uh, um, so he, they were all there, and I, and Bambi was standing there, and I turned around and looked at the guys, and I says, "You know, we're in a unique situation." And I says, "I know what it feels like to be in your place. Yeah, you just lost your best friend, and the guy that owned the shop, and mm-hmm. and uh, um, you know, this is a this this is a tragic tragic deal i know how you guys feel but uh i know what larry would have wanted and i know what denver wanted he'd want the shop to keep going mm-hmm. and i says now you guys are in that unique position that i was in yeah you got to fill those boots and i turned around looked at him, i what are you guys going to do and this says, we're going to keep the shop going as indian larry legacy nice and that's what it is today indian larry legacy and uh so, those, it, so it was ironic during the show that I was talking about the passing of my best friend and then we lose Larry and these guys lost their best friend yeah so that, that was crazy. very very ironic and it was mm. and they, they say it's one of the most requested shows ever seen on Discovery that oh. people always watch it want to watch that mm-hmm. because it tells such a story it's almost uh, a mythical story to, uh, to to see this it's just almost like you're on a cloud and you're floating and it just can't be real it's kind of a surreal deal Mm-hmm. And, uh... In fact, I've got a motorcycle I'm building in the back right now. That's an Indian Larry bike. Okay. That guy came to me and says, "Can you build me an Indian Larry bike?" It's got the question mark on the sissy bar, and we're building it in the Indian Larry style. All right. Which I knew because I I use a friend of and mine. And was the definitive yeah, style it's for style. Every 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 builder has their own style. Mm-hmm. So I'm back there replicating an Indian Larry bike And what's right his
0: now. like? What are the main um, attributes? Well, the this? the twisted
1: front end,
0: the uh the the.
1: the the gas tank that's a uh, concave da- gas tank on the side, the stance, the handlebars, the risers, the paint job. And the you, the painter that was just in here is going to do the painting on it. Okay. And he's going to actually do a, a mural of Indian Larry riding his bike standing on the seat with his mm. arms out. Wow. Is going to be on the top of the gas tank. And on the sides in gold leaf, it's going to say Indian Larry. That's cool. And then it's got the question mark cut out on the sissy bar. I put that in the back, so... That's going to be a hundred percent tribute bike to Andy and nice. Larry. So here we are 16 years later and, uh, he's as big today as he ever was. And people are still remembering him and honoring mm-hmm. him and wanting bikes like his. And, and, uh, uh, I'm honored to be building this bike. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, I'm excited about it. And if you're taking pictures, go back there and you take a picture of the sissy bar and mm-hmm. you'll see the question mark and you'll, you'll see that I'm doing the fiberglass seat pans for it right now. But, uh, I'm building it in his his likeness and his lifestyle. And the whole time I'm back there building it I'm thinking about him.
0: Mm. Yeah. Well that's good too. You know, I so that, think that's, that's, that's
1: Kinda of, kind of a cool deal to to you know, a unique position. And you know what's funny? I just thought about it. I'm back there replicating Denver's bike. Hmm. Before he died, he had an orange orange shovel head that was iconic in all the magazines. He had several bikes, but uh I'm building the clone to that bike right now. All right. It's sitting back here as well. <laughs> And you're building and them both at the same time. so I, there's I, another and in fact. And <laughs> uh, that envelope right there is the bike I'm building. It's on the cover of an old magazine. And okay. that Manila envelope right there, and that's the bike I'm replicating for Denver.
0: That's well, another ironic thing, I guess. Having, I didn't even think about it now till now. It's now it's here both, I'm both repl- replications of the bike. I'm and replicating <laughs> Larry's and
1: and replicating Denver's. This is something that I didn't even think about to write this
0: minute. Yeah. Wow. <laughs>
1: so that's that's mystical.
0: Yeah, for yeah, it's that, another addition to it.
1: Yeah, that's kind of mystical. So that uh
0: But what was Denver like? How was he as a person, I guess? Oh, uh, you know what? what?
1: He's one of those guys. Mm. Him and I were, were 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 closer than brothers and and uh and during that show he said uh, I I call him my brother from a different mother. Mm. And I I think that caught on because I hear other people saying it. I go, "He is my brother from a different mother." And I meant yeah. and I I said that on there and, and uh you know, it was one of those things, whatever he owned and I needed, it was mine and whatever I had was his, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I can tell you a couple of stories. One time I, I left one of my show bikes there. It was in the, in the, in his showroom and, and I came back, uh, we're out having a few beers and I came back and where's my bike? And he goes, I sold it. Some mm-hmm. guy came in here with a grocery bag full of money. I so said I sold three of our <laughs> bikes and, and he just threw me a handful of money. He says, go build another one. <laughs> another time uh, I had a really nice El Camino and, and, uh, all tricked out and uh i come back from drinking again and and uh, partying with the boys and where's my El Camino? he says i got you that 64 corvette stingray sitting out there <laughs> yeah he did but that's the way he was mm-hmm. <coughs> excuse me another time we were on our drag boat racing we had the drag boat shop and he um uh, uh we were racing against each other in the same class and his boat was new and I was always beating mine, and I was always pissed. I said, ah, you got a new boat. You got more money than me. You yeah. got a faster boat. So one time he called me. He says, come on down here early. So I got down there, and we go to the drag boat shop to get our bo- bo- boats ready to go to racing that weekend in Pomona, California. And um, I go, where's my boat? He threw a cover off. He goes, here's your brand new boat, so shut up and stop crying. <laughs> he says, now you got a new boat. You don't have any excuses. And he gave me a brand new, brand new drag boat
0: yeah well. but
1: that's the way he was with me all right you know and that was our
0: basically that was the relationship between you two just well it,
1: it was uh uh something that that respect that was earned i remember i mentioned that earlier in well, the it sounded time
0: like there. you guys were like little bro uh, was it was like a bigger brother younger yeah, brother, brother thing, and where it's like you're annoyed you know, by the we little used brother to, everywhere
1: we went if we went drag boat racing we always shared the same room okay and uh we went partying or anything we did and um I was contracting back then, and i was i had I was making some big money, and he had some big money, so we'd take we had a three boat drag boat team and'd go to the races and uh we'd have thirty people with us on our crew mm-hmm. so we'd have to buy them all dinner we'd have to buy them all rooms all right. and take care of them and their wives and kids for the whole weekend so we usually had a huge entourage plus three big rigs in the boats and so it was a huge expense and so you say give me your give me give me your wallet." And I'd throw him my wallet, and he'd pull out my gold card. Everybody, Mondo's taking care of tonight, all the drinks, everything. And he never said nothing about it, because the Uh next time it was on him. All right. So it was always, uh, and he'd laugh and smile, and just, he thought that was funny, you know, that, 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 and I'd I'd just go, oh man, wait till the secretary sees that bill, you know. (laughs) But uh, that was part of who he was and who I was, was was, uh, we never questioned each other. And when the drag boats would pit next to each other, and, if I needed a prop or I needed a broke apart or I needed something off his, I'd be in his, in his trailer stealing his stuff, and he'd go, what are you doing? What are you doing? Why are you taking my stuff? I, said, I need this, Neil. Oh, okay. Let's take it. And that's all he would say oh, okay.
0: And how old were you then when he passed away? I
1: was, uh, I was probably about 42.
0: And how were you? I mean, how was that? I mean, just you don't have to answer if you don't want to, but just – I mean, just like to lose somebody Ooh. that close to you. that You know, it, it, it
1: it's like losing a, a close member of your family. It was uh, the closest person that I've ever lost in my life. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he, we meant so much to each other, but uh, it happened. I had to deal with it. You know, it was so big. The funeral was so big that uh, we were in San Bernardino, California, and KTLA, a TV station from... Uh, la big main uh, station came out to interview me and 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 denver's widow and and uh see what was going on in the shop and everything mm-hmm. and they were so moved by all the people that, that there was like mecca people coming there and
0: is just bikes from and all bikes over the place? all over the
1: place and mm-hmm. boat racers and he oh. was in the hot rods hot rod people that the guy ended up coming back for three days and film for three days wow and did a documentary, went to the funeral and mm-hmm. it was a huge funeral. I, I led the funeral procession on his bike. And then behind that, we had all the bikes and then we had the, uh, uh, all the hot rods. And then we had drag boat racers were bringing, towing the boats. Wow. So we had a huge profession, uh, procession, uh, uh, and, uh, and at, at the funeral, I got up and did the eulogy it was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. But, uh, I did that, pulled it off and, and, uh, the whole thing was just unbelievable i mean and they, they filmed all that and a couple of days later that you know it was, it was made it made the ap wire service all right it was that big it was that. and and denver was that big of an icon la papers everything and it the word all over the world the word went out you know and, and the wire uh,
0: service that's like the news line to the ap wire at service the time. that's like a,
1: you know the, the one that goes around the world all right and so the guy came back from KTLA and gave me, gave me back then they had the videotapes. Mm-hmm. And he gave me all that. He says, here's everything I, I recorded over the last few days. He says, I wanted you to have it. Oh. And he gave it to me. And you know, to this day I have it, I don't think I've ever watched it. Okay. And there was a few things like that where there was TV interviews and, and different things like that. And uh, um, they're, they're so vivid in my mind. I know I had to write an article for the Boat News. And uh, I hadn't slept in a couple days, and I knew the deadline was the next day. And that night, I just picked a pen to paper, and I, I I must have wrote a couple thousand words on wow. Denver. And I just looked up the, the ceiling, and I remember saying, "Denver, help me out here." And I just put my pencil, in, and I wrote right, right at the beginning of the article. It was it's in the magazines. I wish I still had. It. I said, mm-hmm. "It's going to be one draft. I'm not going to change anything. What I write down is what you get." Mm-hmm and i wrote that thing and it was perfect and and wow. people at the drag boat races were crying when they read wow. it and it was just uh, so much from the heart and he had meant so much to so many people people loved him out at the races you know he had such a big heart and uh, people just absolutely adored him i mean at the at the funeral there were their grandmas in line with the uh, and uh bikers and hot rodders and boat racers he just he touched people from everywhere all different walks of life and all these people are there yeah. coming through the line. It was just an un- unbelievable deal. And I mean, I, I still think about it today and that's it, it, probably the biggest funeral I've ever been to and, and uh, the most people I've ever seen in a funeral. And, um, so that, that, that sticks with me, you know, that, uh, the, and, uh, I guess that's why I've worked so hard to do keep my promise and keep this shop mm-hmm. going and, do what i do and it hasn't been easy it's been a roller coaster right yeah. i mean the, the highs and lows in the economy and such and you know i'm in the toy business you know i don't mm. sell toys when the yeah. economy's bad mm. you know or covis is going on or something like that yeah you know it it's it, so it's it's uh you do it more for the passion than the money mm. i could do other things to make money uh but this is what i promised him i'd do and this is my vocation and what i want to do and and uh so it's not a job like I told you before. It's a, yeah. a passion and an opportunity that I was gifted. You, you know, It keeps and, you
0: connected with them throughout your entire yeah. life. And it's a, yeah. maybe some people kind of, and, if and, stuff and, like that happens, they turn away. And they kind of...
1: You know, and, and uh, well, up there behind you, there's a, there's an article. See the picture of Denver there? Uh-huh. And, uh, that's all that article talks about Denver everywhere I go. You can see the pictures of Denver and the drag mm-hmm. boats there in that article and stuff. I always talk about him and about he's the guy that started it all and he's the icon of in the industry i'm just the guy that came along behind him but uh i always do that and if i do if i give people a tour of the shop i got this big picture of denver right mm-hmm. here the yeah. first thing i do to is introduce people to denver
0: yeah
1: i go here's denver mullins the guy that started the shop in 67
0: yeah well, and my best
1: friend and then mm-hmm. that's uh and and that's the first thing i don't i do i don't say hey you know this is Mondo Shop, I know. This yeah. is Denver Choppers.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I just happen to be the guy that works here. Yeah, and and I've been blessed. I uh, got inducted in the Motorcycle Hall of Fame a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And then um, hey, what and was
0: they, that like? Was that it was it
1: was it was a big mm-hmm. honor. But there again, you know, there's hundreds of people there at, at the ceremony in Sturgis, and they did a video of of, of me and my lifestyle. And most of it talked about Denver, and there was pictures of Denver all over. A friend of mine put the whole thing together, a lot of old pictures and mm-hmm. videos and stuff. He made this terrific video of, the, of my uh, my being there to get my award. And I tell you, I, I was crying. And and uh, I guess it was because uh, I missed him. Mm-hmm. And I, I looked at all those pictures, and, and all these memories, are running through your mind, and you're yeah, going... Yeah wow, I wish you were here to see this. Mm-hmm. You know, And then I looked back at my table, and I had two tables full of people that came from bike builders from all over the country that I called and said, I want you at my center. And they're all sitting at my table. And all big names in the industry, they're all sitting at my table. The editor Easy Writer, the editor Cycle Source, the uh, uh, Sugar Bear, Billy Lane, just on and on, Aaron Green. All these people are sitting at my table, and they all had black Denver shirts on. All right, that's nice. And I looked at them, and I go, these guys could be anywhere in the world right now. They could be anywhere, and they chose to be here with me
0: mm-hmm.
1: during this this time where I I see my picture with my best friend on the on, you know on that video and you go whew, that's that's uh, it that's a, a, a something that'll never be matched again in my life was mm-hmm. that experience and to look and see all my friends there and they're there all to honor you know, Denver Choppers. We've had
0: a few, like you we were saying, with the David Mann painting, with this, with these moments. I mean, very yeah, significant. Yeah, you know, and, um, and
1: speaking of that, the there I've got an award out here, and it's the first time it's ever been given out. And it was given out at the Dave Mann Chopper Fest in Ventura. They have a, a, a motorcycle show every year called the Dave Mann Chopper Fest in December. Right. And I always go, and, and uh, I usually get up on stage and give out awards, and I judge the show and stuff like that. And they gave out a, a painting, a Dave Man painting, that's really nicely done. And uh, it's called the Dave Man Mankind Award. Mm-hmm. And it was for the person they feel has lived the lifestyle of Dave Man. And I've got it hanging on my wall right here. I got it a couple of years ago. Nice. I was the first recipient <laughs> of the Dave
0: Mann Award. That's awesome.
1: So that is a huge deal for me, and mm-hmm. is to be uh, the recipient of the Dave Mann Award. Yeah. You know that means that okay, you live the lifestyle of Dave Mann. You built the bikes like he liked, and and uh, you've been true to this business mm-hmm. through the thick and thin. And and uh,
0: was that important for you to be true? Or I mean, it oh, seems yeah. like just not only oh yeah. it, within the lifestyle, but within maybe who you were. It's, it's
1: don't ever change who you are. You know, mm-hmm. be who you are, and and that's who you are. People either like you or hate you or love you or not. I don't care. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to be good to everybody. I try to treat people the way I want to be treated. And, uh, um, I tried to be nice to everybody and, um, I guess that's important. Denver taught me that mm-hmm. he always told me, he said, um, uh, you know, people had come into the shop back in the old days in the late sixties or 70 at, at the bike shop. And, uh, maybe there'd be a person of color or something like mm-hmm. that. And the other, and some of the old hardcore bikers back then were, you know, racist and stuff. And they'd go, what are you doing? Letting them in here in Denver? I said, you can leave. He said, uh, those people have as much right, and I love them and respect them as much as I do anybody else. Mm-hmm. And if you're disrespectful to them, you can get out of my shop and not come back. He says, yeah. Mondo, he says, always remember this. He said, people can't choose who they are and the way they were born. Yeah, And he said, uh, um, always remember that and always treat people right. Mm-hmm. And I've lived by that every day of my life. Yeah, that's a is, great thing to say. Don't, don't ever judge people. Judge the character of the person. Mm-hmm. Don't ever don't ever be that way. And he never was. And people loved him for that. Yeah. And uh, one last quick little little thought I want to give you. Uh, uh, the day that Denver died at the drag boat races, you know, he got killed in our top fuel boat.
0: And how fast did those things go? Just right now so... they're about
1: 275 miles an hour.
0: And was that how fast you guys Four were going mile. back then? Or? Back
1: then they were running about 230
0: wow and you were you've driven in one going 230 i haven't personally okay. i had other classes that i drove but denver was in that class he, was he in advanced that? up
1: to that wow. class so anyway uh we were there at the races and i had a uh i was building the capsules for the drag boats. so i had a display trailer where i'd roll out the capsule and had all the the backup gear for racers if they needed some parts i always had a trailer full of parts and that was called Denver's Capsules and we'd we'd always take that trailer to the races along with our race boats Mm -hmm. we had a concession going on and I had all the drag boat racers everywhere in the country have them sign the door the doors would flip open and I'd always have the racers sign their name on there Uh, boat 559 blown gas flat bottom uh, Jim Irmshire you know Mm -hmm. and then everybody signed it and Denver never would sign the door All right, and uh So uh, I was right across from him, and he he started at the top fuel boat, and he was getting ready to go out, and I didn't know it was going to be his final pass. And he came over to me, and he goes, uh, all right, Crybaby, where's your pin? I always carried the black felt pin Mm. on me. Where's your pin, Crybaby? And I I gave it the pin. He says, he signed the door. uh, He said uh, the name of that boat was called uh, Public Enemy. The number was 919, so he put Public Enemy 919, Denver Mullins, he signed the door. He goes, there, now you happy? And I says, yeah, thank you, Denver. I always wanted (laughs) you to sign my door. And that's the last words he ever sent to me. Jeez. And he went out and got killed. And uh, that's a whole other story there, me dealing with that. But uh, um, I remember him signing the door on that trailer, and I go, wow, that's a big deal. Mm -hmm. Finally got it. But there was one other thing that happened that day. Denver was the kind of guy that was... Loved kids and he loved people, mostly downtrodden people. You know, he mm-hmm. he liked people that uh, that that didn't get a lot of attention or anything because he's always that way. And he he was he was brought up poor and he, he was brought up uh think uh, like he spent some time in a foster home and stuff. So he always had a a feeling, a special feeling for people that were downtrodden. So the, there was a guy standing in the crowd and they fired up the boat. And there were people all around, you know, Denver standing by the boat where they're tuning it up and getting it ready to go. And he sees he looks over the crowd he sees this this guy standing by himself way in the background a, a fat kid he a big heavy set kid mm. and Denver parted those people and walked right over through him oh. and he grabbed that kid, he says, "Come with me, he took him over behind the ropes mm-hmm. gave him a denver t shirt he says, "You're with me <laughs> and that kid uh he was, he was look yeah. you know, you know, to, to wow denver thanks you know and and uh Denver made sure that that kid. You know, he told the guys, "Take care of this kid. I'm gonna go out and run." So, you know, he went out and he got killed. And the funeral, i was standing in the line next to Linda, his widow, and people are coming through the line. And here comes this kid, wearing the shirt, wow. and he goes, uh, "I didn't know Denver. I've never, I, I, till that day, I'd never met the man, but, but I had heard about him. I wanted to come meet him, and he, he split it. You know, he, he." he Split the Red Sea and and got a hold of me and put a shirt on me and says you're with me,
0: and that's the way he was. And yeah. He. uh... How old was the kid at this point? It, Do you at, remember?
1: Early twenties,
0: I'd say. And how old was he back then? Would you say? Denver. No, the kid.
1: The kid was in his
0: early twenties. Oh, when he got the shirt? Yeah, and when then, Denver saw him. Yeah, I was in to the say at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. So so uh, so mm-hmm.
1: here we're coming through the line and all these people, all the bikers, are coming through. Everybody's coming through and and we're talking to everybody, you know, and and. Uh, He goes, you remember me? And I go, yeah, I do remember you. And he's crying. He goes, nobody's ever treated me like that. Wow. And he was crying, and I explained to Linda Mm -hmm. who he was. And she just smiled, and she goes, yeah, that's who he was. And that kind of encapsulizes who Denver was. Yeah. Is that one kid. And I'll never forget the look on his face, and I'll never forget that face, because that kid kind of encapsulized who Denver was.
0: Yeah, and it could have changed his whole life. I mean, yeah, to have that it, experience well, or somebody it, like that recognizes yeah, you who just, is just, this uh, guy. But he was
1: always that way. He had mm-hmm. always uh, you know, he was always the first one to help anybody out or give him money or or feed him or do whatever, he, you know, he he was always that person. Mm-hmm. A very very giving person. I learned a lot from him by by him being that way.
0: Yeah, giving and wise. I mean, especially growing up in that time yeah. the way that he treated people, the way he looked at it, the way that you can't you um um you have no control over who you where you're born where you come from and exactly yeah, that that's the stuff. lesson
1: mm-hmm. that's exactly the lesson and uh I learned from that lesson I've tried to live my life in that in that uh vein that that uh treat people like you want to be treated and you'll never have a problem in life mm-hmm. and uh that's worked well for me, yeah, and i don't know how much longer I got left but uh I'm looking forward to the day that uh, I see him again. And, uh, we had a crowd of about 30 of us that rode together, and I think we're down to about probably four or five of us left alive of our original That'd group. Of your original group? So Do uh, you guys of,
0: still ride together? Or?
1: Well, the, the, the five of us, no, we talk to each other once in a while. All right. In fact, the guy that was a painter at, this this shop is... at, at, painter at the shop back in those days he got a hold of me the other day, and I just told you I was building the Denver clone bike. Mm-hmm. Well, he painted the original Denver clone bike, the oh, Pearl wow. Orange and Purple Flames. And uh, I invited him to come up here and paint it when it's ready. Wow. And he says, man, I'm going to cry. I said, <laughs> uh, you mean that? And I said, yeah, I'm going to fly you up here, and you're going to paint that bike just like you painted his original wow. bike. And I did the Bondo work on it, and I says, I'm going to do that, and you're going to paint it, and we're going to build Denver's bike.
0: that's pretty wild
1: and he's all excited Hmm. he's all excited that uh you know you gotta remember this has been almost 30 years that Denver's been gone yeah and uh um you know so a lot has transpired over that uh, over the you know I've had the shop longer than he's had it and a lot has transpired a lot of people have died and gone away and and uh you know there's a few of us that that are still around and a couple of us keep in contact with one another so this was a a big moment for me and a big moment for him having that conversation with him the other day. Yeah. And he's, yeah, I remember silver base and then the candy orange <laughs> and then the uh, metallic blue uh, flames and then it had lavender pinstriping. And if you look at this, this that envelope right there, you'll uh-huh. see that bike on, on the cover. On the cover of, of the, the magazine, and it's exactly that. Wow. And that's the one I'm building. And uh, so... I can't just croak yet. I got a few things to finish up. <laughs> got to finish my my daughter's gasser and and uh, build that Denver bike. Finish that Larry bike, and I got a couple more other projects I'd like to
0: do. So looking over your pretty much your whole life, then I mean, had you feel like you've accomplished what you set out to accomplish? And... I think
1: I I I think I've accomplished more then then I set out I never set out to do a lot of this stuff a lot of this stuff fell into my lap mm-hmm. and I just tried to make the best of it and work hard and and uh people have recognized that and obviously by the the books the magazines the tv the uh, the accolades the awards that I've won and I think that's just all uh from working hard and being true and and uh um I think Denver's up there probably had a lot to do with some of this stuff that's going on mm-hmm. with me, and and uh, I hope he, he I hope he's proud of what I've done and how I've kept his name alive and and uh, and the history alive of Denver Choppers, and I always remind people, you know, this is where the long bike started, this is where the aftermarket industry started, this is a, where a lot of things started, and it was all uh, Denver Mullins, and uh, I'm just the, I'm just the guy in the driver's seat right now.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know and, and did you ever do you feel like you just kind of just went with your life then, like kind of just went with the flow or i mean it seems like well like you didn't grow it, up have a plan it's like it just kind you of know, I, seemed to happen you know then... i was
1: uh i always thought i'd be a building contractor all my life and, okay. and uh and i did really well at that i was very successful at it and i can still build if i want but uh uh but then with denver and and him and i building the boats together and building the bikes together and and I think if he was still alive, we'd still be together doing stuff. Yeah. I think him and I would always be together building this or building that. Maybe we would have moved on to race cars or doing something else different, but uh, I know that we'd still be doing it together. And um, being that he's gone and, and uh, I'm here to – I'm having to do it. And uh, I think a lot about, okay, how would Denver do it or mm-hmm. how would he handle this situation or what would he think of this or what would he think of that and don't take shortcuts, uh, cause he'd be looking over my shoulder, yelling mm-hmm. at me if I did something wrong. So <laughs> it's kind of like that, you know. That uh, yeah. would he approve of this, or would he approve of that, or would he approve of what I'm saying, or what I'm writing, or what I'm, uh, uh, how I'm, uh, um, people perceive the shop and, and and the image that we have and the, and the history that we have. Uh, am I a good uh, steward of, uh, of the past and the history in the shop? Am I doing it justice? Yeah.
0: Well, I think you are. So I well, mean, just from, the, just from the just from the little that I know, and I think thank you for saying that. Coming,
1: it's a, a labor of love, mm-hmm. and it's a passion, and it's something that I enjoy, and and uh, um, I think it's a gift that 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 I am able to do this.
0: Yeah, and I think just going back to where I started, just um, like I said, it's like the generosity and kindness you showed me, and how helping out the young bikers, and I think that. Now that I learned about your whole past and history, and learning about Denver, it seems like that was a perfect way to honor him and welcome people, make people feel welcome, and I mean, it's very well, appreciative. And, and then, and then,
1: <laughs> you know, then we got to do this interview. So yeah. everything happens for a reason, mm-hmm. you know. And and a lot of times, uh, you give a little, but then you'll get it back down the yeah. road, you know. Um, so I I never I never worry about that. I never was a a big money guy i never, i'm not doing this for the money obviously cuz uh, i'd have a lot more mm-hmm. but uh, i'm i'm doing it for the passion and the love and, and and the love of being a biker yeah a true biker that that loves what what i do and and loyal to my friends and my friends are loyal to me and and the the bond that i have with people and and i want to be a good emissary i want to be a good i want to be a good keeper of the history yeah, I want to tell the history because the history needs to be told. If you, to know where you're going, I always say you got to know where you've been. Yeah, and I think that's really important. Is is the legacy and the history. And if you want to know the legacy and history, sit down with me for a few hours. I'll give you I'll give you a lesson. <laughs> I'll give you a lesson on the legacy and the history of uh, choppers and and the industry and the people in it and the stories behind it and the uh, the bumps and bruises and lumps that we took along the way. To, to make it so that these guys that are running around now acting cool they don't know that they're, when you see an old gray haired guy with a gray beard he's the guy that took the lumps and the bumps so yeah. you could go out and ride around right now mm-hmm. they're the one that blazed the trail you know if it wasn't for people like like Sonny Barger you know and Cisco and some of the other guys that uh, Chuck Zito and some of these other guys that are just hardcore that uh, have blazed the trail and given us somebody to look up to and, mm-hmm. and somebody to honor and and somebody to respect, you know, and, uh, so I, I guess that goes for anything. I guess if you're a cowboy, you look up to the, the old, old cowboys and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. I guess it's, it's whatever you're at or wherever you're, whatever you're into, if you're racing bicycles or a surfer or whatever, you look to the icons and and the history and, and every, every walk of life has their heroes, Mm -hmm. you know, and the music industry, uh, you know, I like, um, Led Zeppelin, you know, and the yep. Rolling Stones and some of the people I grew up listening to. And I was fortunate enough to watch as a young kid. Nice. $3.50 got me into the Rolling Stones. You know. <laughs> and yeah. so, uh, as a kid growing up and watching those and, uh, you know, those are the those are the icons of the of the music industry. Mm-hmm. We have icons of the motorcycle industry.
0: Yeah, and they had the blues, who they the Rolling yeah. Stones are influenced yeah. by. So it's the same. It's just yeah. like and, you said, and, every and, different genre. And,
1: and the the song "Born to Be Wild," you know, mm-hmm. for for the movie Easy Rider and stuff yeah. like that. You know, it's just a lot of things that are intertwined, and and uh, you know the the different walks of life and. And look at all the people now that are out riding Harleys and enjoying motorcycles that uh, you would never think he's an accountant. What's he doing on a bike, Mm -hmm. you know, but he's out there clearing his head. Yeah, he's out there riding and enjoying life and, and, uh, you know, sniffing the the trees and and the freedom that you have. And uh, I I encourage anybody, man or woman, if you uh, like the saying goes, you'll never see a bike parked out in front of a psychiatrist's office. <laughs> you know, right. and true story, you know, yeah. they never told that. Uh, that's 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 a true statement. So, uh, well, I think uh,
0: that's a good way to end right there. Yeah, I mean, you got... yeah. So I've had a fun time, and
1: thanks for letting me ramble on here a little bit. I hope I enlightened you a little bit about Denver Mullins and Denver Choppers and uh, the history that's here.
0: Yeah it's been a fascinating life that you've lived and I I mean just to um just everything that you've grown up in like you grew up in the epicenter of where it was all happening and Yeah, I, w- I wouldn't th- change
1: my times mm-hmm. you know, I got to catch the, the late end of the 50s I got all, all through the 60s and mm-hmm. 70s and and all that uh prime time stuff with these young people that they'll never never realize what it is to cruise uh, hot rods up and down main street you oh, know yeah. or, or ride motorcycles on a big pack on a run up You know, run up to to Lake Arrowhead on choppers, Mm -hmm. you know, or Big Bear Lake or, or, you know, and and throw a sleeping bag down and camp out and drink and party and bonfires and just the brotherhood and bikes breaking down and fixing them and, and just, just the times that we had, you know, it Mm -hmm. just, uh, um, I wish I could make a movie about it. I wish I had all the ideas. (laughs) I could make a movie and let everybody see what it was like back
0: then. Yeah
1: but it's all up in my mind and a little clouded sometimes, but, uh, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it.
0: Yeah. It sounds like an amazing life. And yeah, I mean, my, it's cool my, that you're in Reno now. And yeah. I'm, I'm not got done to, yet. Yeah, yeah. My
1: daughter called me one day and said, Oh man, get your ass up here. You got grandkids. And uh, <laughs> she goes, you can do what you do anywhere. About 95% of my work is mail order bikes and front ends and frames and whatever I do. So I can, she's right. I can do what I do anywhere. So, this is as good a place as any, and I like Reno and uh, lived here before, and so, uh, so I'm okay with it. Yeah, they got yeah. you UPS and FedEx coming in and out. Yeah, <laughs> you know, so that's uh, that's kind of the way businesses are handled these days. You yeah, know? I don't I don't get the foot traffic I had in Vegas, you know, the movie stars coming in and, mm-hmm. and all the icons coming in from uh, all over Vegas, but uh, but I get more work done because I don't have all the, all the foot traffic.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Alright, well thank you again, Mondo. It was great. You're more um, than welcome. And I'm um, very happy to have done this and I wish you yeah. all the best yeah. going forward and
1: let me know when I can I can hear it and uh I would I would enjoy enjoy
0: listening to it. Great. Yeah, I will. All right, thank you very much nice and, and have a good welcome. night, everyone.